the big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The Big Silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go! Mental health is my wealth, the stress upon the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seek and ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The big silence. The big silence. Hello, welcome back, my friend, uh, to the Big Silence Podcast, leading podcast for mental health and self-development because of you and being a listener and supporting. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. And I appreciate you sharing this and touching other people's lives. And, you know, just by listening and sharing, making sure that we are never alone. So I am currently in Indiana, sitting in my childhood bedroom. I was at a women's retreat in Maine for a few days this past weekend. And it was incredible. My friend Tanya O'Connor hosted it at her beautiful main home. There were 13 women who was a little bit of self-development, a little bit of yoga, a little bit of spa, a little bit of really getting to know and nurture female friendships, which I think is so important. Shout out to everyone that was there and for being so vulnerable. I think we all left a little bit lighter. I was thinking, what do you think? a retreat in Austin, Texas at my house. What do you think? To stay in the loop on that one, make sure you sign up for the Big Silence newsletter at thebigsilence.com because we will be sharing some information on that. Um, Back to Indiana. I surprised my dad. He didn't know I was coming here. And I went went in the front door last night and he was reading a book. And it's just nice. One night here before I head to Palm Springs and I know there's so many memories in this house, and if you've read the memoir, my memoir, there's stories about being in this house, but uh, I've really enjoyed being here. So make sure your duty is sign up for the newsletter to stay in the loop on all events, everything going on. Make sure to share, leave a review. We choose one uh, podcast listener each month who leaves a review, and I send you some little tone it up and big silence goodies. And I send that from my house with a little letter. So this week's episode, Eric Rukowski, he is a trainer at a gym that I'm an investor in called The Collective in Austin, Texas. 
the coolest gym out there. Uh, if you're in Austin, it is a private membership, but you can come and hang out and work out there. So he is sharing his story from growing up in New York and what he has overcome and become one of the best trainers out there. Beautiful story. Thank you, Eric, for coming to the Big Silent Studio and hanging out and enjoy the app. Talk to you later. Welcome to the Big Silence Podcast. Thank you for having me. I've seen you running around the gym, doing awesome things with clients, and have kind of been a passerby mm -hmm. witnessing you. And then I listened to a podcast you were on, Adversity Advantage, and I heard your story, and I reached out, and I was like, I want to sit down with you. Well, I'm glad you did. Yeah. I try to, like, Collective is a place where a lot of people come and most people love the interactions. And then some people are like, don't look at me, don't talk to me. I just want to get my hour in and leave. So I try to be mindful and give people space. But I knew this dance would come sooner or later. I'm glad it did. Yeah. So the collective is a gym in Austin. That's like the best gym ever. Um, but you know what's interesting? Because I have a gym at home. I But I love going there. And I train with Sandy. Mm -hmm. And I love going there because you actually talk to people. And I do notice the trainers there definitely are like, no, you go, you know, they don't want to interrupt. But I love going there just to like have community and socialize and laugh. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about it because everyone kind of knows each other and you can come there and it's kind of a, I call it a adult playground where you get to work out, feel good, meet people. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so let's... Talk about your journey from Brooklyn. Sure. You got your tissues ready? I'm, okay. ki I'm uh, kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I can grab one. Bobby, come back. I'm kidding. <laughs> but yeah, I was just so interested in your story because I actually find myself being in fitness mm -hmm. and for, you know, since my early 20s and the different cycles that I've been through and the different seasons I've been through with fitness. And I've found that a lot of people who find fitness as their career have come from somewhere really deep and possibly dark and fitness is what pushed them through and you know just for the mental the mental challenge yeah so you grew up and losing your father mm -hmm. at a very young age so i'm gonna like tell that story yeah sure um okay born and raised in brooklyn uh, my mother's side of the family came from Italy when they were like teenagers and did the whole thing, pizzeria, grocery store, kind of immigrant success. Um, unfortunately, they were, you know, not the sharpest tools in the shed. So by the time I was born, all that was gone. Um, so, which is, you know, it happens. Um, my, I have an older brother and our upbringing as we knew it was like, you know, welfare kind of bouncing around. Mom didn't work. Dad was in and out of like uh, prison and struggling from drugs. And as we got a little bit older, we started to learn, okay, our situation at home is different than our friends. Um, but to, to say that like we were very sad, depressed kids, no, we had a blast where it was like the Sandlot in Brooklyn. Um, mm -hmm. We just didn't know any better. Uh, Fast forward some time, dad passed when I was 11 and from drugs. 
And then that story continued to go on a little deeper, like evicted here, evicted there. All all this was going on. School was kind of present for my brother and I, and also keeping us busy, basketball, um, boxing for me. So that was kind of like an outlet. Like when my dad passed, the first thing I wanted to do was go shoot some basketball, you know, with some friends and play some pickup games and just like have that outlet. And then boxing took over as that vehicle. And then I learned like, okay, I might not have money. I might not have all these things, but I have the ability to move. And then I learned like, okay, there's freedom in that movement. And that was kind of like my my outlet and eventually segue into a career for me. It's so interesting. And back in the day, so you're, are you 30? I just turned 30 February, yeah. Okay. And even back in the day, I I feel like today the conversation around being sad or depressed is more open. Mm -hmm. Whereas even me as a kid, when I was at home and my my mom was, you know, schizophrenic and I am a suicide survivor and uh, just everything, but no one put those titles on it. So do you think down deep inside there was kind of some sadness or you just, because society wasn't talking about it you didn't feel it because I'm just interested with social media being so open and myself being one of those people talking about it a lot. I just wonder your opinion. Yeah, I think especially depending on, you know, the age you're dealing with um, those kind of traumatic events. um, It's all relative. Um, I think for me, it was more, there wasn't, yeah, those conversations were not taking place. So there wasn't like, hey, here's the guide or a tool for mental health and trying to explore that. So for me personally, it was like, I only know one way and I'm just like going to continue to try to live my life, my childhood and my upbringing and start to learn little be- little you know pieces along the way to try to like use as a foundation for myself. Okay, so you moved to fitness, mm-hmm. obviously after losing your father. Um, and do you feel like you suppressed anything? So, yeah, probably. I mean, again, it's, uh, when I was, when, when my grandparents sat us down, my brother cried. I didn't cry. I was like, it was like, I was a year younger than him. So maybe I just didn't process it, um, the way he did. And then six or so years later, the first time I revisited the cemetery, cried, broke down. I was dying out there because I just didn't know how to allow those feelings to go out. And I don't think that's like um, something intentionally I was trying to suppress. I just don't know. I didn't know how to utilize those feelings and have an outlet for it. Yeah. So then um, growing up as a teenager, your dad is gone, Mm -hmm. which I have a question because I'm coming up on the two-year anniversary of my mother passing. And uh, I was 40 when she passed. And a lot of my friends had not have not lost a parent yet. And do you still struggle with that grief? Because I get a lot of questions about grief. Yeah, I think so. Every year, I'll try to go and revisit the plot in, in Coral Gables. That's where my um, the cemetery is. It comes at you in waves. You know, there's moments of, you know, great joy in my life and I could be driving and it's beautiful outside. And then I'm like, oh, I wish 
he was here. Uh, there's moments of uh, I could be watching a TV show and there's a similar correlation with what's going on in that mm-hmm. scene to my life. And then next thing you know, I'm like, fuck, I call my brother. I got to call my mom. So I think in, it's always going to be that way and come in waves. But I have come to peace with it and I have come to peace with his journey and my relationship with him. Yeah. And so his journey with drugs and alcohol, correct? Yes. Um, and so after his passing and you going into your teenage years, mm-hmm. you chose to stay away from that. Yep. So explain how the rest of your, you know, because there are a lot of who listen who have lost a parent, a sibling, mm-hmm. and grief shows up in so many ways. I know as my mom was diagnosed in a missing persons when I was 12, mm-hmm. I turned to any kind of escape any way to escape skipping school like you know just you know going to the raves but you took a different turn yeah so for me i just seeing my how my mom lived her life how we lived our life and then just you know you open your eyes and your ears you look around you and you can see that oh, okay there's a different way whatever happens behind closed doors is you know whatever happens but i just knew deep down that there was another way from the check to check. There is another way to live your life and not be a victim. And that was just what I was going to lean into and try to curate for my own life. So what are your tips? Because victim mentality is something I had to work through because my my mother, bless her, uh, didn't go through therapy, wouldn't take her medication, just suffered her entire life till the very last day when I was with her. and always the victim and I'm you know and I I played that till my early 20s and then I said this is not who I am I'm going to make a change so how did you at such a young age assuming you weren't going through therapy mm-hmm. <laughs> I no. don't know yeah, yeah. Like, no. <laughs> uh, how did you learn about not being that victim and taking that role and moving forward I just always tried to put myself in someone else's shoes and take a moment and like play that role and see how did they get to this point and what's going on. And then after I kind of dissect that a little bit, I tend to just not take things as personal. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas, you know, my dad struggled his teen years, which led to drugs and all this stuff. And that was before I was probably even conceived or, or, or thought. So like for me to take it personal like why why did you do this why you know that's it's all natural feelings that come up but i try to have a lot of empathy and grace for my mom my my dad and you know people that i work with relationships and i think the moment i stop taking it personal as like an attack mm-hmm. um i tend to just breathe a little deeper and like okay this is what is going on this is what's going on for them. And for some reason, it's, you know, some of it is like rippling in my direction, but it's up to me on how I accept it or not. So I just try to have a little grace and not take it personal. So I know what you're talking about, but if someone's listening, they're like, I just don't take it personally. Cause that's one of my biggest things. Cause you can, someone can make a comment or someone can do something and you're like, you know, just yeah. don't take it personally. Like, how do you have that shift in your mind? Like, what's the simplest answer? I think 
for me in that I've never had like a, a safety net. I never have like, I've never had someone that's going to get up and do the things that need to get done for me. So I can't sit in what's going on that I can't even control for too long because I have work. I have, you know, my son, I have things that are going on and, and I try to just lean into those things because if I do what I can control really well, a lot of good can come from it. Or if I just sit into something that I can't control, all of that tangible stuff that I actually need to survive will start to, you know, get compromised. Right. So the things that you could control, you could control boxing, mm-hmm. meeting the right people, getting out there and going. So let's talk about that. Yeah, sure. Um, boxing was just something going on in the neighborhood. So we would like all meet up at the park, each wear gloves and just go at it, you know. And then it turned into a little bit more of like a professional route, going to an actual boxing gym, um, learning the craft, getting sponsored and like pursuing that. And once you're in there with someone trying to take your head off, you know, you don't have time for what did uh, Joe say about me or Sheila? I don't know why Sheila came up, but (laughs) things like that, you know, and that was just something that I loved and learned and, and boxing can be like a chess game and such as life can be like a three dimensional chess game. And so it's always going to be like integrated into me and my way of thinking. Yeah, I love boxing. I'm not good at it. I probably should take some classes with mm-hmm. you because I do, when I have done, I've done it with AJ. Yep. We were talking about yeah. it. AJ's great. In LA. And I realized that boxing is actually just like working out, but therapy, because you have to stay so focused. Your mind cannot go out here or here. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be so in your head and so present. And I think that boxing is one of the sports where it really is a healing thing. And because you you can't be thinking about this or looking down at no. anything, you are focused. Yeah. And it's almost, you know, a meditation. I'm, I'm big into meditation and working on your thoughts. But, I mean, not that I know you that well, but I think boxing was your, like, healing sport. Yeah. It got your mind right. Mm, it definitely did. It was an outlet. It allowed me to stay present. And also, it was something that was... um instant gratification as well Mm. and that it felt good um and it also the more i put into it the better i got the more i put into it the better i got and the more opportunities came from it right and so you can take that into the rest of your life and your your goals yeah and just come you know i've been super fortunate i've trained probably over a thousand different humans one-on-one connecting with so many different people from your athletes actors or you know massive CEO founders. And uh, there's a lot of correlation to them all, which is in similarity. It's just that their ability to just like focus on one thing at a time and execute, you know, despite all the noise, like they keep the main thing, the main thing. Yeah. I'm trying to work on that again. (laughs) It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you are boxing in New York Mm -hmm. and take me through that journey to where we are now. Yeah. So I was at a boutique. uh, I was boxing in Brooklyn at Gleason's. It was a popular boxing gym. 
And then all while this is going on, I'm in my teens, 17, 18. I'm studying for my Series 7. I was working on Wall Street doing like cold calls, a thousand calls a day. And while you're doing all of these things, still making no money. And then I started putting more energy into boxing. And then eventually, like, I saw an avenue to make some money while I train and fight. So I went to a boutique gym in uh, the West Village. And then, you know, I started training like the GGs. She would come to the gym and Nina Agdals. And, and then with that came the money, right? The hedge fund guys that would try to pay a premium to work at the same time as that work out at the same time. So, uh-huh. <laughs> so I was there for a few months and then hit the ceiling pretty quickly. And then uh, rented out a space in the West Village nearby where I started just doing one-on-one training like a ton. Mm-hmm. And once I started putting everything into that, I started noticing, well, my for the one first time in my life, I'm actually making some money. I'm succeeding. And my interest for boxing started to go away a little bit because at first it was boxing my way out. And then I finally found something else that was a different way. So I started just like leaning into that. Right. And then more and more success came from it. Yeah. So you your your dream of boxing and professional boxer. Yeah. And then you shifted into personal training. Yeah. And how was that for you? Did you feel safe in that? Was it another risk you were taking as perhaps you were taking another, mm-hmm. you know, transition in your life? Yeah, it was a big risk, but at the same time it came from nothing. So it's like if all fails, I can go back to nothing and figure out another way to, you know, move forward. I always talk to Bobby about that, which, by the way, Bobby worked on Wall Street when he was right out of college and he hated it and yeah. he just left. So um, <laughs> yeah. another thing in, in common. Um, but what was that? Before? What was I saying? I have so many. Like, So you shifted from that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was talking to Bobby and I, too. We always, when you say it, go back to nothing, because I, I came from, yeah. you know, I'm from Indiana and a mom that was gone and a, a dad who was going through his own stuff. And right. shout out, dad, love you. But we were, you know, I was basically raising myself as a teenager. And I tell Bobby now, I'm like, I don't care. I could lose it all mm-hmm. and be happy. Driving that bus around or an RV and going to national parks. And I feel like it, there's a mindset where you have to be happy with yourself and what you're doing. And perhaps if you, uh, that mindset of taking a shift and taking a new career shift of, if I lose it all, I'm okay. Yeah. And I think easier said than done for sure. And I think a lot of people would gain a lot of self worth, probably accomplishment for actually saying that and then finding what that actually means to execute on that, whether it's starting a business or a new relationship, just like put it, put it all out there and like, okay, I'm all in here. Let's see what happens. What's the worst? Yeah. I've already been through it all. All And you know, when you've been through it all, you know that you can survive Mm -hmm. and you can um, push through it. Okay. So, you're training all these celebrities. Number one, what is Nina Adgal's um, secret sauce? What would you train to? <laughs> well, first of all, shout out Nina. She's awesome. Yeah. And a spectacular athlete in person. And her thing was like, she was just completely committed to getting better at boxing and fitness mm-hmm. and all while crushing the 
you know, supermodel world. And, mm -hmm. and so I think the secret was for her, it was just like showing up. And, and also there's a lot of, just like there's a lot of bad products out there you can consume. There's a lot of bad coaching and teachers and mentors yeah. that might not have your best interest. So knowing how to decipher through that. And I'd like to think I do what I do pretty well. So when we linked up, we were able to like really get some good results. So talking about showing up, because I think that's the number one thing. And myself, you know, being in the fitness industry for 20 plus years and having my own seasons of fitness and what I feel like doing and whether I want to show up and going through emotional things. And um, so someone who's just two things, someone who's just trying to figure out their fitness journey, tips on how to get them just going. And number two, what about someone who has been a fitness like superstar and had a break and wants to come back? What is your advice, like that motivation? Yeah, uh, I'm going to answer two first, just because my brain, you know, hit yeah. once or twice, you know? Uh, okay, I would say at some point with success in your journey, you can tend to forget that why or your why and purpose can get shifted a little bit. Um, and then I try to just tell people, because I see it all the time, it goes back to people's with their uh, individuals with their businesses, right? That becomes bigger than themselves. When really, if something happens to you, you know, the whole ship's going to sink probably. So I try to bring you back into that place of like, okay, it's, let's focus on you first so you can be better at everything else. Um, and hopefully they can kind of grasp that idea and implement a little bit more time into themselves and, you know, their well-being, their mental and physical well-being, and then it'll ripple into everything else. Um, it's just super important. Yeah. Yeah. And then for the person that is just kind of getting started, it's like, just take a breath, you know, and I wouldn't start typing, you know, all these things on Google and, and TikTok and Instagram. I would just try to like, take a moment, check into what you're consuming every day, you know, do some diligence. A lot of people don't want to do the homework on like, what oils are good and what fats are okay. And a lot of people use money as an excuse when like, oh, well, it's, okay, let's go both ends. It's $25 a month for this app or it's, hey, it's $300 for this session. Um, it's too much money. But then if you look into your day-to-day, -day, maybe you're having a, a bottle of wine, uh, you know, a few times a week or maybe you're shopping too much. So like, there's ways to find the resources and use it correctly. Um, so I try to like, you know, when someone says it's too expensive, I'm like, okay, let's let's really look into it, okay? <laughs> and, no, I know. No, I, you're on ladder yeah. for an app, and I have the Tone It Up app, and mm -hmm. sometimes people are like, that's too expensive. I'm like, girl, that's like two orders at Starbucks mm -hmm. yeah. or two right. bottles of wine Correct. for a month. You got it. You got it. Relax. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Don't complain. So I would just say, figure out what, analyze what you're doing in your day-to-day -day in terms of steps taken, what you're consuming, how you're sleeping. And the moment you start to really get those things in order, you can go, okay, do I need to be in more of a um, 
weight loss program or a strength training program. I personally think there is always a hybrid to implement both. Um, so, yeah, look in the mirror, see what you are consuming daily, see what you're spending your money on, make it a a priority to utilize your resources, time, and money to bettering yourself, your temple, you know, because because I'm telling you, you talk to almost everyone after a good workout, it ripples to the rest of their day. Exactly. And even between my business manager, my business partners, my husband, when, because I went through a really dark period because I was my mom's caretaker towards the end, and then dealing with the grief and not getting off the couch and not working out, and I put on 30 pounds, and um, at least, you know, I don't weigh myself anymore, but it was just, it was, um, I think the stress was just too much for me. And then when I started working out again and, you know, got Karina back in her game, mm -hmm. um, I mean, people around me were like, damn, Karina, our business Karina is back. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> what are you? Business? <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, you just get back because I was going to the, I was working out again. I was moving my body. I was meditating. I was doing all the things that I, I do. And it's like, wow, mm -hmm. like there you are again. And you know, moving your body, and I always say it's not, for me, the aesthetic of it, the aesthetic feels fun, uh, nice, mm -hmm. but it's like mentally, you have so much more energy, yeah. you have so much more power, you're so much sharper, and uh, it's it's really important. And, I, you know, I wouldn't change anything from, you know, any of the grief and the, the darkness that I've moved through, but damn, when you find it again... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a superpower yeah. that we all, God willing, have access to. Resilience. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, you're training all the superstars, you know, Gigi and such. Um, how did you end up in Austin? Yeah. So, a few years ago, um, actually at a ladder summit, um, I met Jeremy, one of the co-founders, Jay Hills. And they told me about this idea of collective. But at the time, like, I'm doing just fine. I built something pretty special in New York. And I was just like, eh, you know, I hope for the best. Let me know when you get it going. Pandemic happens. I have a son on the way. So I was like, okay, maybe it's finally time for another chapter. And, and I went from making like half a million dollars a year in New York, crushing it. And, you know, all the resources, all the things at my doorstep to, I'm going to start over completely and leave all that and do this with collective and be closer to my son because my um, son's mom and I uh, were not living in the same city. Well, she, is she She here? was in the West Coast. Now, oh, oh, okay. now she's in Austin. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to move closer and I'm going to start this thing with these great individuals and I think it's going to be great. Um, so that's what led me to Austin and I have friends like, um, the super coffee family, they're here, the ladder family's here. And my kind of clientele in New York alluded to like, hey, there's some of us there too. And I was like, okay, you know, I'll be fine. Yeah. And you've been here like a year? Two years now. Two years. Okay. Yeah. We moved in 2019, didn't know a single person. Yeah. And then now it's like our social calendar is the, it's like the Mecca. Over here. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, but it's so, you know, it's very different too. It feels like it's so much easier to meet people and 
make friends with people here because I lived in LA for 20 years. Yeah. And people were like, why did you move to Austin? I was like, I lived in LA for 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> Hollywood. Mm-hmm. This, that, I've done it all. I moved there when I was 18. Yeah. And I did it all. And I kind of, I mean, you've seen, I'm in nature now. Yeah, you're crushing. <laughs> And I was like, I just want to change. And I think change is important. And people, you know, sometimes are afraid of change and can judge you or wonder why. But it's just what I want. Right. And it goes back to what we were talking about before. It's like, here was a moment where it was like all in, you know, and a very scary thing to give up what I had and and come here and start over. And it's that moment of betting on yourself. But I also knew in the back of my mind, like my foundation, my pillars, it could all go to zero and I'll, I'll figure it out. You know, the I'll figure it out thing is what I do, too, because I grew up with so much trauma and we've overcome. And like, I already had seen the worst. It's all good. Throw it at me. And um, I definitely would say Bobby is like, he gets very nervous with decisions I make. Mm -hmm. But then he rolls with and he's like. I trust you. Mm-hmm. Trust your instinct. And I think everyone should just trust their instincts. I want to talk about what you've recently been through. Mm-hmm. Your diagnosis. Sure. Yeah. I know it's not fun to talk about. Um, I heard about it. You know, Sandy at the gym was like, Eric is like the most low-key, doesn't tell anybody, goes through his stuff. Mm-hmm. Again, possibly back to your childhood yeah. where you just move through and don't talk about it. But can we talk about that and that experience? Sure. And then on that note, it's like my therapist would say, like, I have a unique skill to survive, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And however I do, it might not be the cleanest, but like I, I find a way. Um, same, same. Same, same. <laughs> same girl, same. So essentially, I am... Pretty active, very healthy. I work out a ton. Um, you know, the hot, cold therapy, sure. All the things, right? Blood panels, quarterly. I, I, I live this life because it rewards me. And it also feeds my soul and my body and my mind, right? So with all that said, I had n- no issues, no symptoms, uh, nothing really alarming. For about two years around the pandemic, and like, I don't really want to dive too much into this because who the fuck knows, right? Like, I I did the Moderna vaccine, mm. and... We won't dive into it, but I did the J&J, yeah. and I've got issues. Okay, so with that, with that said, <laughs> yeah. maybe I And had, I don't like to get political or anything, but... Yeah, um, so for a little while... um. I had a lymph node that was kind of pronounced, but at the same time, I was like, oh, it's my lymph node. What do you want me to, you know, that's it. And I'm super active, so maybe it's overactive. And then I think around that time, and it's hard to know, right? It could have mutated a little bit and maybe broken off. And then in my mind, I'm like, nah, that's the same thing. And I'm getting fitter, um, getting healthier. I feel. Yeah, I might get taller. I don't, I don't know. Everything's working. So I was just like, I'm not going to really dive in. Then I moved to Austin. My son gets born. Everything's still good. Everything's fine. And then I noticed one like all the way up here by like the ear that was like a kind of hard little rock. And I was like, fuck, that's not a lymph node. 
And I was like, really just taking a moment. And I was like, okay, what are the steps? Go see an ENT. I do that. And then she's like, nah, this is weird. Just go get an ultrasound. I do the ultrasound and they're like, um, it's a little abnormal what's going on on the right side of your neck, but we won't know until we do a biopsy. Do a biopsy. And then I get the, the telecom for FaceTime call while I'm playing pickleball. And then it was like, okay, this is your diagnosis. You know, they said thyroid cancer and there is an extreme spread on the right side of my neck. Um, but we don't know where and how severe. So there is that level of uncertainty for about 12 days. I found out mid-February, my son's birthday was two days later. My birthday was like a week and a half later. So I went through the motions, right? Because I didn't want to go to the people I care about and like, hey, this is going on because I didn't have the answers. Um, so I go to Miami for my birthday with my good friends like Mario Carbone. We're at the dinners, you know, we're all cheersing. It's a beautiful time, but I didn't say anything. I come back home March 1st, CAT scans, everything was clear everywhere except for this area. And then they, they gave me a path forward um, of, of what to do. And then I was just like super relieved and then happy and then spoke to my mom. You hear your mom's voice, you cry immediately. So I, I broke down and then it became, okay, I was super scared during that uncertainty path, like that week and a half. And suppressed it, sure. But I think for good reason, because I just didn't know. And I, I didn't want to look at the faces and have all that and then have someone go, oh, hey, take this pill, that'll, you know, and, and have this, put this crystal on you, you'll be fine. I didn't want to deal with any of that. I just wanted to wait until I got the scans back. And then, yeah, and then it just became, okay, what's the next steps? And you're clear now. Yeah, you went through surgery. Correct. And so if the, you're not, yeah, the, the next steps yeah. were um, either figuring out where to do the surgery, um, and I chose Sloan Kettering in New York because that's where I'm from, and I've never even been to Houston. I'm sure it's great, but I'm just, I wasn't going to do my post op there. And then I went to New York, um, and a dear dear friend and past relationship of mine, um, Jennifer Winkle Reed. She was side by side with me the entire time, helped me find the chief head and neck surgeon. And then my other clients, friends, uh, Barry Sternlich, who owns the one hotel, he, he was super nice and helped me out at the one hotel. And then, uh, this gentleman, Strauss Zelnick, um, who owns 2K Sports, like two, uh, into interactive, uh, for sorry, it's eluding me, but. He let me stay at his place up Upper East Side. So, like, I knew I had a support system. And by the way, before this, no surgery, no broken bones, never stitches, nothing. And, you know, I remember an episode of Everybody Loves Raymond back in the day, if anyone was watching that, I used to watch it. And, like, Raymond had surgery, and for a split second, he didn't wake up after the anesthesia. Like, that was, like, my fear. Like, I remember going into the surgery, and I was just like, just make sure they wake me up. I'll take care of it after that. Well, it's a long surgery. I mean, I see the scar across <laughs> yeah, your neck. It was like about nine hours. Nine hours. Yeah. And then two nights in the hospital, one night with the drain, 
and four months later did post-op stuff like a low form of iodine radiation where I had to stay away from people, take a pill, the whole thing. But then we did our big scan after that. They said, I'm great. And everything worked. And now in November, I'll do another scan. And then God willing, it's just scans until that. But I, if you remember, I, I came back, I lost like 25 pounds. I lost my voice because it's close to the vocal cord. Yeah. So that took like everything six weeks to get back. And then, you know, now I feel stronger and fitter than ever. This was April. April 18th was the surgery of this year. All right. And now this is what? We're in September 13th. Mm-hmm. Not too long ago. Then. No. Wow. Not too long ago. Wow. It's a doozy. That's a doozy. <laughs> yeah. Do you get like anxiety around that or do you just push it all down? No, no more. Um, yeah. There's still concerns, right? But um, I try to like put my faith in um, the facts. And the facts are that I did the surgery. It was a success. And it was a complicated one. Like, And your neck controls facial functions, arm functions. I was like, Richard Wong, I said, Doc, don't fuck, don't fuck <laughs> up. <Bob." laughs> no. and, uh, oh, my God, that didn't drive me. So I yeah. think um, now being on that other side, and I talk about this, like I think you saw my, my truck got broken into the other day. Yeah. And it's like, instead of allowing that to ruin my day, it sucks. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't just go, oh, life's all sunshine and rainbows. Like in the moment when things suck, that's because they do. Um, and usually it's uncontrollables, right? But I have a solid foundation that I can pull from to be like, I got through these things. Let's go one step in front of the other. It'll be okay. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's uh, finding that calmness in the storm of just, I always go into, okay, this is the situation. Let's map out the points of how we can move through this. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm very happy you're healthy. You're back at the gym. Mm-hmm. Killing it. Trying. <laughs> I mean, it's only been a few months and you're out there and back at it. So, and number one with yourself and your physical fitness and then your clients too. And so if anyone's listening and in the fitness industry, what are your secrets for being an awesome personal trainer? Got it. <laughs> yeah. I if think, you want to give your secrets away. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll give you the secrets. <laughs> um, there is, okay, for personal training, there's this whole side of like the anatomy, um, the science behind it and, you know, strength training, endurance training, um, you know, multiple zone training. There's this whole world in it that to be honest, I probably suck at. I, I, it's not true, but like I, there's certain people that are probably a lot more qualified and really do the degrees and all the diligence. I'm the best at the world that probably connecting with the person that needs the help and wants to accomplish the goals, you know? So I know as long as I am the best at supporting that individual in front of me, we it's the long game either way. You know what I mean? So to achieve any goals, it takes some kind of time and execution. So as long as I can solidify my relationship with that person and then we have that kind of um, understanding and relationship, I know we are going to achieve these goals together inside the gym and, and outside the gym. So I always try to tell people, know your shit for sure. Like put the time in and understanding the craft and, 
you know, your per- the person in front of you and what they need, what they want. But then also don't just treat them as that's my 9 a.m. No, that's Karina. She's from here. This is what she does. Um, try to shift your mind um, on mindset on that because the biggest thing with training and, you know, the retention is hard. People, preferences change, finances change. So like try to put your energy into the relationship um, and then, you know, obviously still get them to be better, you know? Um, I do agree with a trainer. You're basically a therapist and a friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. you are. I mean, it's a great time. Like You're moving. You've got all your endorphins going and you're talking to your trainer. Yeah. And I do believe, even in my work, because Tone It Up, we were community first and are. And it's really like you work out and then you open up. And so you're kind of like a therapist, too. And just listening is yeah, part of your job. For sure. There's definitely uh, a lot of... Uh, degrees that you just you know create and adapt uh adopt along the way because it's there's so much more to it than counting reps you know um at least if you want to really be great at it you have to dive deep with that person on what's going on outside the gym yeah and i haven't trained with you yet but i may okay (laughs) but obviously i trained sandy and when I started with her, I was coming out of this, you know, darkness from my mom. And mm-hmm. she's, I like that she's always like, where are you at today with your energy? What do you feel like doing? And then if I try to like cancel on her, she'd be like, just get here mm-hmm. and we'll sit on the couch. Yeah, we'll figure it out. And go from there. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I can do that. And now, you know, she's just, it's great just having that human connection and then moving the body. And, um, yeah, so that's what I really appreciate with trainers too is just like checking in with your client. Yeah. Um, and then I'm obviously a trainer mm-hmm. and I have a trainer. Do you have a trainer? Yeah, um, I mix it in. Um, if I want to, you know, relive my Rocky years, I'll like get a boxing coach and try to get a bunch of uh, hours in each week, which is a lot of fun. Um, and for boxing, you need one. And then I have a few others that I'll kind of use those resources in terms of like nutrition and maybe like a strength training program. Yeah. See, I love that because I believe, I always say therapists need therapists. Mm -hmm. It's okay. And trainers need trainers. And I've gotten a lot of slack on like, wait, why are you, why do you have a trainer? And I'm just shouting out there. Like everybody needs support. Yeah, for sure. And you never know like, I try to do a ton of research on, you know, the the fitness craft and just like mental health. And you always should be trying to learn more and be innovative, but also don't forget about what actually works too, just because something else is more flashy. Um, but I say that to say there could be someone else that all their time is spent on researching one specific thing that I can maybe just be, you know, um, flying by. So that's why like, it's important to try to pull from these people. Right. You learn so much from different mm-hmm. styles and techniques and experts. So you are training, but I feel like you're also diversifying your portfolio, your partner. Like, yeah. I think it's really important because I do the same thing mm-hmm. from real estate to, you know, having a fund where I invest in different yeah. health and wellness and tech companies. So how does that look for you? 
Yeah, for me, it was um, there's only certain hours, so many hours in the day. And I knew early on, okay, I hit the ceiling doing like 80 sessions a day. And that's great as well. Um, it's definitely a more younger man's or woman's game of yeah. uh, to put those kind of hours in. And then, as I said, I try to be really focused on the individual in front of me and what they're doing and want to be doing. And then I try to like grow with them in those areas. Um, because if, uh, whether it's a beverage drink or, um, a trucking company that they've started, you know, they're again, they're the best at what they do. And I'd like to think that I'm the best at what I do. So there's a mutual trust. And because I focus so much on the relationship, I'm able to tap into those things and grow and try and receive some sweat equity, try to connect the dots. Like a lot of my clients are super wealthy and there's always someone trying to raise money. And like, if you do it correctly, you can find yourself in multiple different things to diversify. Yeah. I think that's really important. Um, for many, many years I've been doing that, but okay, Eric, last words and thoughts about life, fitness, tips, moving forward, working, being resilient. Yeah. So for me personally, I've been in this stabilizing phase, you know, and I really think because I never had stability. So if like you're at home and you are a little bit uncertain and uneasy, nor normally that comes from some kind of uncertainty in your life or something that isn't stable. Um, so I've been trying to, you know, stabilize my health, stabilize my finances, career, and then stabilize how I am as a father, which is super important to me. And then the one like rocky thing for me, women, oh. <laughs> you know, so like that's been super important to me to, as I've been stabilizing all these different things in my life to like, okay this part of my life is still rocky and I want to be better at it. I want to be a better um, partner and teammate. Okay. Why do you think that is, does it come from your relationship with your mom or <laughs> no, you don't want to talk no, about no, it? No, it's, it's cool. I just think um, I've for the longest time I've, cause I've never done drugs. I don't really drink ever. Um, I have like fitness and, you know, my, my um friends and things like that but i i had this i have had this one outlet and it was like sure like spending time with women you know and you can caught up with uh playing house with multiple people and you know people can get hurt and i can get hurt and it's a a lonely road um that people never really wake up from um and for me personally, I, I've seen um, that, okay, I'm using this as an outlet to pass time. Um, and that's not a healthy thing. So for quite some time now, I've been trying to just like, okay, I'm no longer going to do these things. I want to focus on one person that wants to focus on me. And that involves no other you know, stops along the way to their house or my house. You know? <laughs> got it, got it. Yeah. Okay, so envisioning her, mm -hmm. 
have you do you have a list do you want to share am i totally i'm totally going off track here no, no no you're fine just someone that is kind to me it's important um someone that also offers stability and by the way i say stability a lot i'm not talking about like flat line on the machine dead a little volatility is healthy a little bit in the right way um but the core morale principles and foundation of what a relationship should be um i would love to be for those to be stable um but yeah kind um into some similar things has their own stuff going on um but also like just uh loves me as you love me as you find me kind of thing you know because i can be a lot i'm sure you know i have a lot going on and i have a uh, quite a you know a lot of uh baggage with me but i tend to think that i'm doing the best with what i got and and you know where i want to be so i'm pretty easy location wise in austin yeah the long the long distance <laughs> stuff i've done it and yeah. it's it's very hard and it's complicated and it it leaves too many room for error you know yeah so independent has her own career ideally yeah, yeah. Um, and by the way like and i say this cuz i was talking about this not too long ago with someone and people it's funny you could some people that come from nothing and some people that came from everything and they they tend to still have this like imposter syndrome type of thing and it's so silly like just love yourself find joy in what you are doing where you come from and and just like there's always going to be someone with more things you know so it's like try not to have that consume you because it's silly you can't control it you know but like you can have your own career or you could come from money you know i don't care i i wish i could sit here and go i came from money Look at me, you know? It's great. But to each their own. Yeah. All right, ladies. Um, come to the collective. <laughs> yeah, but but also like uh I am trying to um focus on one person and you know, I I I think I might have found that person. Um I just had a few a lot of turbulence on the way to get to her, so I have a lot of like cleaning up to do, but we'll see what happens. Well, you're 30. I didn't meet my husband till I was 33 and got married when I was 35. There you go. And he's, how old is he? He's three years younger than me. But anyways, and I went through many, many, this is, this podcast is going to a whole different relationship. No, this is okay. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I was with someone for seven years and left them. And then I was with someone for three years. I was always like long-term and then someone a year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when the time is right and you'll find them and, um, just always keep working on yourself and uh, being a good person and um, accepting people for who they are and realizing that we're not going to be the same person ever. Sure. We're always going to have different opinions and that's okay. Yeah. Just be kind to each other. Yeah, and I think because we're in such a uh, dopamine-enriched world right now where everything is a kick, a kick, a new thing, a lot of optionality, I don't think that's uh, necessarily the healthiest way to live life. It's one of those things I've been trying to look at my own self. It's like, okay, I do all of these different things for my health and well-being, for my playtime, um, for my mental. And a lot of it is like a kick of dopamine, everything, you know, whether it's a cold plunge, a sauna, a workout, uh, playing pickleball. These are all healthy things. Um, but I've been trying to find more time to just like take 10 uninterrupted breaths you know Mm -hmm. intentionally a day yeah um 
to just reel it in. Um, I think that's super important. And then it'll allow me to be my best self when that person comes along. Yeah. Well, on that note, yeah. thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I feel like we should do another podcast with Bobby sitting here and talk about relationships. That would would be healthy. (laughs) Yeah, I got a lot to unravel there. All right. And in the podcast notes, we will put everywhere where you can find Eric. And I will see you at the gym. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. The Big Silence. The Big Silence. The Big Silence.